0: Oh yeah, my booty is definitely testing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay. That could be interesting, midway through. We... Guys, we've got to take an intermission. Zach is uh...
1: Zach has... losing gravity.
0: Zach is losing gravity. Welcome to Dig In the podcast that lives at the intersection of hospitality and entrepreneurship. Here, we will explore the stories of the owners, operators, and curators of America's hottest hospitality concepts, sharing a deeper look at the people delivering excellence from their mind's eye to your taste buds. I'm your host, Zach Woods, and I'm ready to dig in. Season 2, Episode 1. Let's get this shit popping. Michael Robanoff, the founder of a company called Farm to People based here in Brooklyn, New York, um, literally bringing the farm to your door. Um, just a, a quick word before we get into the episode uh, about uh, my personal experience with Farm to People. Uh, when, when I interviewed them, I, in full disclosure, I had never actually used the service um, but thanks in large part to my, uh, to my lovely girlfriend, um, we are now happy Farm to People subscribers. Um, yes, everything is a subscription business in 2019. Um, and I just can only say, and I didn't have this perspective when I was interviewing Michael, unfortunately, um, though I do think the conversation is incredibly uh, illuminating and, and super happy and super energetic uh, despite that, um, I can now say as a customer of the product um, it's just incredible. Michael has uh, hospitality baked into his blood. i'm pretty I'm pretty sure uh, this guy has uh, has really been working in the industry for a very long time uh, through his father and later uh, into his own venture, um, actually dropping out of college like a lot of entrepreneurs uh, seem to be doing these days. Uh, Steve Jobs forward. Um, so I'm really looking forward to you guys getting to know more about Michael. Um One last small little update., uh, anyone that is listening to this episode, hopefully you'll see and as promised in the in the intro to the season two. Um, we do have a promo code with Farm to People. So anyone that uses the promo code DIGIN15, that's D-I-G-I-N-1-5, all one word, all lowercase, um, will receive $15 off of their first customized farm box. Um, so these folks are curating custom farm boxes with various of-season vegetables, fruits, lettuces, etc., etc. So again, use that dig in 15 code for $15 off of your first farm box. Um, and without further ado, I give you episode one, season two with Michael Robinoff and Farm to People. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the dig in with Zach Woods. I'm here today with, uh, I usually say a special guest, but I'd say the most energetic guest that I've had to date. Um, introduce yourself. For the folks, I'm Michael Robinov, um
1: and I'm the founder of Farm to People. We're an online farmers market delivery service here in New York City, and I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Zach. Well, you're happy to be at your
0: own office, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm happy I'm that you're ha- here. I'm yeah. happy to be here. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy to be here, and yeah, definitely. And you just moved here, right? Just like brand new digs. Brand new digs.
1: Saying. Yeah, we moved from up in Williamsburg down to we're right here by the Brooklyn Navy Yard now. So. Very cool. New digs. Welcome. We're still breaking them in, but uh,
0: it's a uh, good location, and we're happy to happy to be here. It was
1: a big move.
0: Yeah, I I remember talking to you a little bit at the at the event that you and I originally met at, and you could tell you were you were very much engaged and invested, but there was also like other things going on, and uh, that was weighing on. That me. was one of the things. That that was the big that was a big
1: thing. Yeah, there's always a lot of things. There's always a lot of moving pieces in the day to day business, but. Right. Moving an entire operation and you don't want your customers to feel, you it's, don't want them to feel that anything is happening. Exactly. So it's the added pressure of trying to coordinate moving an entire operation while maintaining your day-to-day weekly schedule. Yes, yes. And it's,
0: it's the it's the duck principle. Have you ever heard of that before? No, right? Like a, a duck floats on top of the water, but underneath the water, what's it doing? Mm. Moving its, it's feet, move, like yeah, that, yeah, like, <laughs> right. moving its feet. That's like all, hell, that's but a, but in the water, it looks super together. I like that. Yeah, the, the the iceberg is not as a good expression because it's like always stagnant. Yeah, kind of depends on like the. You just don't know eating. the size, right? Yeah, just exactly, right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, thanks again for having us. We're super happy to have you. Um, mm-hmm. As I sort of referenced a moment ago, I, I think from my first impression, uh, having gone to the event a couple of weeks ago, and. You know, you, you had the chance to speak and I was just kind of blown away. I mean, one, I got the unique chance to taste some of your produce, which you guys are bringing from farms all around the New York area. Uh, I got to taste that first, which is great. And then to hear you speak a little bit about, uh, about what you're doing for farm to people, it, it really, it aligns super well with what we're doing at Dig In, uh, of course. Hospitality entrepreneurs, from my definition, are not just the the line cooks or the people that open a restaurant or the hotel, uh, but it's also the people that say, "Hey, like the cook doesn't exist without really great food and without really great ingredients." And I really get that sense from you, and I'm uh, looking forward to kind of diving into that story a little bit today. Awesome, yeah, cool. So to kick things off, we do a, a little segment called uh, Open for Business. So, you know, this is a relatively new venture, and I know there's been a lot of, a lot of change, even in that short amount of time. Um, coming from the startup community myself, I know that environment. Um, I, I'd love for you to tell the people uh, that are listening in at home or watching, uh, where did this idea come from? And, you know, give them the background, the quick 30-second view of where farm-to-people came from.
1: Well, yeah, open for business has, has a whole lot of meanings because I feel like there's been different chapters uh to to what we've been doing and personally a lot of growth and with the team a lot of growth because it's just been, you know, trying to find your niche and find your your model that really works has a whole has a whole different meaning when you're trying to, you know, understand what your startup is and what the kind of service it is that you're providing and what people need also like it's a lot of feeling what customers want, and then trying to service that need. Um, and and that takes a lot of time. So rewind. Yeah. <laughs> back in, back in uh, 2013, I had uh, gone... I took a year off from college with Anina, who wor- works in the business with us. Um, and I was a, was a student at NYU. And my father... So I've grown up around food my entire life. Yeah. I was born uh, in basically the, the back office of, like, grocery stores. Um, not literally. In, you know, no, not right literally. Job. Yeah, yeah, not literally. Be
0: smiling if you're listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not literally, but uh, I very much had, uh, you know, entrepreneurialism and food both... Ingrained in me at a very young age, before I was really conscious of, of what all of that meant. Um, my father had grocery stores when I was before I was born, and then when I was a kid in New York and Westchester, um, and then after that went into product development and created his own food brands. And so, from very early on, uh, you know, dinners and and what life revolved around his business and what it was that he was doing and challenges right. that he was facing and new products that he was discovering so samples were always on the dinner table and people were always uh, coming over or trade shows were sort of a part of of childhood so,
0: so you've done that uh put food on a table thing a time or two
1: a time or two yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and cool. it, exactly my dad used to you know have demos at whole food whatever it was back when i was a kid so i think that really rubbed off and then i wanted to be in in film and theater so I was at NYU I, tell, <laughs> I was at NYU and I was studying I was studying playwriting and working at the farmers market at the same time and my father was trying to develop this concept to connect people with local farms through a technological platform that he couldn't really figure out um, and I was really, really intrigued by that. I love the the storytelling aspect of local food and local products and how you can really tell a more intimate story about where your food is coming from versus going to a store and just being sort of bombarded
0: with, with options and not knowing anything about where they come from. Exactly, which is the standard. I mean, I'd say at any current box store, the narrative is nearly zero. Oh, nearly, absolutely. Nearly zero. It's... it's even- yeah, it's really,
1: I guess, the basics and convenience and, and and you know, abundance. But, like, what is that abundance? It's just sort of there for you to sort of, like, feel good about, you know. I, I don't even, I don't really even know. When I go into grocery stores now, I'm, Borderline
0: confused by like what they're trying to sell me. It's kind of funny like that, that you have that perspective because of course like the deeper you dig into this thing, mm-hmm. the more confused you are by the other way people do things, right? Yeah, like, sort which, of this interesting kind which, of paradigm. which is yeah,
1: which has been a shift for myself because in the beginning you look at like the way things are being done, and you're just trying to figure out like is that the right way, is that the wrong way, but from the storytelling aspect, I definitely felt like that's the wrong that that yeah they're not telling any of these stories and they need to be told, and and so that got me sort of hooked into this like idea of connecting farmers to people. Um, fast forward, we did we did direct to consumer, um, you know, gifts. We started working with we started with working just with like northeastern makers. So we were selling like. Goat milk caramel from Vermont and pickles
0: from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and was it chocolate always from Brooklyn? Food specific, or did you also do like goods and some kind of swag, if you, farmer swag, if you mm, will? It ninety eight percent food. We had like some interest, like
1: we should have gone maybe more into swag. Maybe that would have built like a, a stronger brand per se. But we were doing more like soaps or. Things like that. So
0: still things that had like an earthy touch. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And handmade
1: and really, again, like just crafted products really was the... And one of the issues was when, you're, when you, we were starting out, there was no, you know, it was just this concept. And there was no kind of money to like build out a walk-in or, or do sort of the bigger things that are required with selling you know, meat and cheese and milk and
0: vegetables. So you had to start earnestly, sort of. And this and this was all. Were you taking any inventory at this time? Was that also part of the business model originally? You were taking inventory of the products, and then. Like, well, that, g- give yeah, me the business. Yeah, model yeah
1: all right. So that was here. the first pivot. So the first iteration of the business was to not touch inventory. Right. But technological.
0: heard that's a good idea.
1: It's a good idea. Line.
0: Yeah. Yes and no. And I, well. Yeah, but interested to get your perspective on why you had the insight from your customer base or from the farmers that that wasn't the right way to do this.
1: Yeah. So I want to say like, yes, that's a great business model for so many types of merchandise. So like if I'm selling t-shirts, if I'm selling jewelry, if I'm selling like and these can be like Etsy, for instance. Etsy, great business model and touching no inventory. But you're able to sell like a $40 earring or an $80 earring or a $2,000 like... Or a $50 million (laughs) earring. It could be really expensive. Exactly. Yeah, whatever. And that earring, no matter what it costs, always weighs like a couple ounces. That amount, right. Yeah. And you can ship that earring in in an envelope
0: and it will cost you $2.50 or $3. So your variable cost metric is relatively the same no matter what the good is. And your margin's a lot higher. So like...
1: I guess yeah. You're able to sell something for fifty dollars and get it to someone for two fifty. Quickly with food, you started to realize like I'm selling a three pound jar of pickles that costs eight ninety nine. Right, and then shipping and shipping costs like twelve dollars. Right. And so really quickly, you're like, if I'm shipping all these different things from different farmers and makers, the shipping cost to the customer on getting like eight different things is more than the cost of the products. Wow. And yeah, that was a pretty, that was a bummer.
0: (laughs) You were like, brilliant idea dash. Yeah,
1: yeah. So then we started to feel feel like, well, let's build a brand. Let's pick our our favorite products. Let's bring them in. Let's inventory them. Not a a huge assortment, but just a few. Bring them in and start to tell those stories. So I think initially we had maybe like 15 or 20 producers um, wanted to really tell those stories. And then people could bundle. So you could get pickles, and goat milk caramel, and whatever, all from one centralized warehouse, and the shipping now as a result
0: for those eight items is still can one Because you consolidate shipping. those things into one place. Yes, exactly. To, to, to foreshadow, how many, so conception of idea 2013, mm-hmm. we're in 2019, for those that are you know maybe listening in the future, I don't know, <laughs> or listening in the past, who knows what's happening. Um, how many pivots are we in? <laughs> if you had to name a number, I, I just—I don't know—to illustrate the point that like yeah. people think you just—I just started this business, and that includes a restaurant. That includes oh, yeah. a hotel, right? It's—it's it's not always. Well, they opened a restaurant, so I can do it. Um, if you had to How pick many? a number, probably
1: between five and ten.
0: Five and ten. Okay, so some bigger a, than others. <laughs> that was a selfish question because now I'm pivoting to the second of the section. Awesome. Yeah. Which is what's the latest one? Fresh from the oven. What's the latest thing that Farm to People is doing? How have you, with listening to the marketplace, with listening to customers and suppliers in a two-sided marketplace, what what's the latest and greatest from you all right now?
1: Awesome, yeah, I mean, fresh from the oven. I think that's like actually a good way to say what we're doing now. So like we've pivoted, a, not completely away, but I'd say we would added on to the sort of selection that our customers are able to browse and enjoy from us. So the idea was really listening to people, wanting to, wanting to get better, fresher food delivered, wanting to be able to support local farmers in a way that initially we couldn't support. So how do you get kale from a farm in New Jersey to a customer on the Upper East Side? How do you get you know, mozzarella from, you know, someone in Lancaster, Pennsylvania to someone in Williamsburg. So we've been able to now, as we've grown, as we have a, more of a customer base, we've been able to find cold storage solutions, logistics solutions. All of these different things have just been time and failure and, and building on these experiences to be able to come out with really an awesome new site that now is catered to the New York City public, pretty much only, and very specifically, yeah, and allow absolutely. them to enjoy sort of the bounty that is around us in upstate New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. This time of year especially, we're getting literally 100% of our produce box, produce That's from right in our local food shed. Um, we're working with more distributors and farmers and logistics providers from around the city to be able to kind of bring that product in and get that to more homes. It's really, that also has changed so much from five years ago. You didn't have the whole ecosystem. So, like, it's not just you order and you get it. There's a whole ecosystem from refrigerated trucking to, like, refrigerated warehouses in and outside of the city that need to be built up in order to make this end customer solution happen. So the latest pivot is, is to be a resource for customers to be able to get, like,
0: local groceries from us every single week. And... That feels so special because- It is special, it is special. I mean, there's no doubt. Like I I checked out the site obviously before I came and I mean, the first thing that you notice one is that like the general aesthetic is amazing. So props to you and your team who are hanging out over here. We'll put them on camera later and let them like leave and stuff. Um, But I, I think the second and probably the most profound point aside from the general aesthetic is it is just like, wham, this is a New York thing. You know, and that, well, New York thing, uh, PA, you know, the, the general tri-state area. Thing. Yeah, I think the, the farmer in Pennsylvania that's like making some fresh mots for you might be like, this is a tri-state thing. Um, but I, I just that to me is so powerful. And I think that, you know, it really rides on this idea of of eating local, eating sustainable and eating seasonally.
1: Right, Mm -hmm. I think there's
0: been this, and maybe interesting to, and this is definitely off the beaten path for the typical episode, but to to comment a little bit on how you see this, you know, we've had the eat sustainably idea, okay, like stop using plastic as much, stop using paper as much, Um, organic, natural, like two super duper big Mm -hmm. buzzwords that now have been I would call it completely kidnapped Mm -hmm. by large industry and have Mm -hmm. really been diluted in terms of value, but maybe a couple of comments on eating locally Mm -hmm. and eating seasonally because I think that I mean, your literally new pivot is New York, this market specific, and obviously like the seasonality is core to your business. So I'd love to hear a little bit about more of those two concepts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think to your point about being a New York business, I think that's something that I've totally... Embraced finally, so like when when we started out it was like the idea of being Being national something about that felt like attractive and it was like how do we get? You know products to everyone how do we get out there and how do we become huge? And I think part of that realization and that path has been actually like no, how do we focus on? super Meaningful relationships with people very much locally like how we met like creating cultivating events cultivating real human relationships is like how we can become a brand that lasts longer. And then to your point about organic, I mean, organic's been totally, organic became a billion dollar industry. And now it's something like a $50 billion industry. And obviously as industries grow, big corporations (laughs) see profit. and people
0: want to get around. And
1: so I think we're at a really amazing and important inflection point in terms of like understanding what, organic means and i think organic is a set of standards that i do think are important and i th- think that they're they're it's a step above obviously like conventional farming but then there's understanding when and when you talk to small farmers and some of our team rachel on our team is really you know someone who can talk even more about this
0: i can't imagine there's someone <laughs> that talks more about it than you we t- we we all talk
1: about <laughs> everybody's yeah, it everybody's doing the whole
0: team everybody it's just, it's got to be a, it's a team effort so
1: basically when you, when, you, when you talk to a farmer, you understand that like, the land, even when you're, you're growing something organically um, and not spraying it with, with toxic pesticides and herbicides and fungicides, you are, though, still not necessarily doing what the land was meant to be. You're not giving the land a rest. You're not, you're not re-energizing it with cover crops. You're not keeping the soil as healthy by doing crop rotation. All of those things are antithetical to profit. Profit is like, you know, how do we get do as I many... Cut, how
0: do I cut costs? How do I cut costs? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Cutting costs, maximizing margin aren't really actually cutting costs and maximizing margin for our soil health, for our environment, and for our own health. The whole point of like a healthy ecosystem is biodiversity. And this is something that's so important in terms of how our farmers are growing. and something that we need to understand. Comes with additional costs. Yep. Comes with additional labor. And needs... Consumers to back it, like we can only you know if we 're going to sell a bunch of carrots for three hundred ninety nine and you can get a bunch of carrots for one forty nine at you know the food emporium or whatever grocery store that has no name and no no transparency, that needs to be understood, and that's the story we 're trying to tell it's like that's what 's really important is to give that money to local farmers that are trying to improve their own their own land and by improving land by. Crop rotation. You're also tilling the soil in a way that does um, this thing called carbon sequestration. That actually say that
0: three times fast. <laughs> I'm kidding. <go laughs> carbon sequestration.
1: Yeah, which okay, is it. it's. You'll hear that buzz that buzz term is more. That, is that
0: coming through Kellogg soon? Because if it is, I hope not. not
1: it. But it's a very important. I hope so. Maybe. It sounds Maybe.
0: expensive. It sounds, it sounds expensive. No,
1: well, really, the, the what it is is it's by by tilling soil by moving soil. Um, and after like when you cover crop it and you turn the cover crops over and replant them right back into the, you're releasing oxygen and you're sequestering carbon from the atmosphere back into the soil. That's actually a way to get CO2 out of our atmosphere. CO2 is what, you know, all of our scientists are telling us we're at the, you know, we, we were at the peak 10 years ago. We're at the peak again. And, you know, we keep going overboard and our, our climate and our planet are unfortunately on, on the edge because of this. And there's really simple, I mean, you read these stories all the time of, like, people that, you know, 15 years ago, they took land that was completely stripped of nutrients, that was, you know, like, the cover crop was, was uh, or the, the topsoil was completely dead, and every time, like, uh, a flash flood came, they would, would you know, like, it, it doesn't, the earth stops kind of doing what earth is supposed to do, which is, like, absorb nutrients and, and promote right. a life. Lot,
0: a lot like us. A lot well, like a us. Well, a lot like us when we eat your food, or the food <laughs> that you help us bring. Yeah, my I I have to be be open and honest yeah. with the audience. I mean I always have eaten eaten at places that I felt like promoted this notion, but it's been a real education for me in engaging with uh, you know, significant others and people in the community to really learn more about it. Because I think there with yeah. anything there are levels, right? There's a very, very surface level knowledge, mm-hmm. like organic. I know what that means. Yeah. And uh and then there's carbon sequestration, yeah. and then there's a lot of jargon, a lot of things in between. But I think you know what businesses like you, and I, I think that that for me, you know, coming back to why I'm doing this, I think there's a big, beautiful power in a narrative and yeah. a story. And I really get that sense from what you all are doing is that you can even tell a story, because when people, when farmers just give their vegetables to a retailer. And there is no middle person in there to help promote that. I think a lot of the value in the potential, the potential value from the narrative is lost because there is no narrative being shared. I couldn't
1: agree more. I think that's like what makes what we're doing and the team that's now doing it like more special than, than it's ever been in the five years, which is really the ability to try to, whether it's the Bianqui video or the pickling was... radishes video, <laughs> um, I think telling that story in a way that like connects to customers um, and putting front and center the people behind the products is like you know it's it's magical, right? Like it's, it give, it promotes that value. So how, tell me more. I want to hear just a little bit more about from your angle um, how you came to. Food and how you continue to see food, and how, how like your experiences with chefs and with people who are now connecting the dots from, from farm to plate or from farm to fridge. How does that like influence you? Because I think you have a really unique perspective having
0: talked to like the different people. So I'm just interested as a yeah as someone who no, wants to know how to like the reverse interview <laughs> a classic maneuver. Uh, the reverse interview with this son like beaming in my eye. I'm gonna try my best not to cry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a a great question. And thank you for asking. I I mean, I think my journey with food coming from a very rural small town in South Carolina and looking back now, 31 years young later, um, I I recognize what a gift that was, in fact, because I don't come from a super industrialized area where we're, especially in a city like New York, it's very possible to be really out of touch with where your food comes from. I mean... You can go a whole day without seeing a tree, much less a tomato plant or okra or green beans or rice. Um, You know, my my mom was a hospitality entrepreneur, so she owned multiple restaurants in a couple of small towns, Gaffney, South Carolina, shout out, and uh, Blacksburg, South Carolina, the 864. And, um, you know, like little, small, local diners. And to be very honest, that there was never any of this buzz around organic and natural, I think, you know, my mom was just trying to run a business, right? Yeah. Which meant where do I buy from relatively cheaply uh-huh. and where do I sell to yeah. uh, at, at, at a marginal price? Yeah. Um, I think my real story from food begins with the confluence of that and also being overweight as a child. Uh-huh. So I think as I realized, you know, starting to change my diet later on in high school and entering into college, I. I recognize. Wait a minute. Like when I eat a bunch of salad, and not a bunch of this packaged food that my mom used to feed me, unbeknownst to her, that was bad for me. Yeah. Because there wasn't a lot of education and Mm -hmm. and schooling around that notion. I think the 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 name of the game was efficiency and mom that somehow like whips up the packaged food and like this meat is delicious and it's all good, but. I started seeing changes in my physical body and I think when, when someone experiences that kind of change, they start to sort of awaken, Ask questions. you know, yeah. they start to say, well, why, you know, yeah. why? And I haven't stopped and I'm sure people are annoyed that I that yeah. I have not ever stopped asking why and that's yeah. stemmed into many, many other things. I, I sort of have always had, since I started this notion and, you know, writing about food and food policy has literally been an eight year thing for me. And this is just the latest iteration of that. But I think once you ask yourself why enough, you start to understand that businesses will leverage things like natural and organic to screech out profit. Mm -hmm. And that there's much more of a story involved there. Uh, To come back to the the end of that story, right? So how am I? Informing what I'm doing now through talking with individuals like yourself and other chefs, uh, or just going out to eat and being more conscientious of the way that I dine. Um, I, I think what I clearly see is that chefs have way more of a, of a proclivity to work with individuals such as yourselves or go direct to farmers. Not only because they see that consumers are becoming more aware, mm-hmm. which I think is a great like market pull, but yeah. I think there's also a push from them directly because I believe they're beginning to realize that wait a minute like I have a real role in the health outcomes of individuals and that's a real like chefs carry a big responsibility and I think they're starting to understand like people are eating out more they're cooking at home less they're living more in cities so they're becoming a little more dependent on these people that are feeding them and I think that level of conscientiousness is sort of arising because they realize, well, I can't just serve you delicious things all the time that are going to make you a customer for a shorter period of time. Yeah. Right.
1: I think that, I think that goes to like everything. I, I, I've seen that for sure. People eating out more, there's, we're, we're busier, we're having a harder time making time for ourselves really. And I think that what we're, what, you know, selfishly or unselfishly, I think there's a need, very much so a need, for people to feel comfortable and excited about getting back into their own kitchens. Um, I think that what we're trying to get to people is really delicious, amazing produce on the level of what you would experience at the finest kitchens in New York so that you feel excited now about cooking those ingredients at home and can sort of reclaim your health. When you cook at home and cook with good ingredients, even if you cook a little bit unhealthily, like even if you oh, fry yeah, it the home balance, or whatever. Yeah, the, the balance don't is fe-
0: way shifted. But yeah. don't, yeah, don't you
1: feel better? You oh, feel healthier. Like even if you make fried chicken at home versus eating fried chicken out, you just somehow there's something like in your gut and something in the ingredients Literally. that you're using. <laughs> it might be the, the oil you're frying it in that it hasn't been sitting on the, on the, in the fryer for three days. It's not rancid. You just feel better. So we're really focused on like making one new ingredients accessible um and two like making cooking in general accessible i think one of the things that's really where we can push the envelope so to speak in terms of like getting people and getting local farmers like and and helping to merge that sort of system that needs i don't know, definitely fixing is that when you go and you shop at the grocery store or, or you shop without sort of the the urging or the pushing of someone like helping you guide or helping you educate about what you're eating, yeah. is you'll do default to the things you know. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's
1: the same thing in, in school or in life. Like if when you're, com- you're, you have your comfort zone and unless you're like really pushed or made, it's, it's fun or exciting to get out of the comfort zone, you stay in the comfort zone.
0: I, I feel like there's a drum roll in the background. <laughs> Maybe you like some crazy idea well,
1: stewing up? Well, no, I mean, I just, the the, cra- the crazy idea is, is is us giving sort of publishing to our customers. Here's what farmers want to be growing. Here's what makes the soil. Here's what makes the earth more healthy. Here's the crop rotation. Stop eating the same lettuce, the same carrots, the same cucumbers every week, and try throwing in, like, gold bar zucchini. Try throwing in dandelion greens. No, I mean, I think that that's really vital because these things taste really good and these things are really simple to cook with but super intimidating when you've never tried sure, it, right? Sure,
0: it, look, it looks differently, like from a topographical standpoint. Yeah. So here's a here's a fun speed round. You're yeah, right? go for it, yeah. Coolest shaped thing you've gotten in the shop in the last, like, two weeks? Oh, uh, garlic scapes? Ooh, what does that look like? Oh, shit. Describe it. <laughs> uh, if it were a cloud, so, what would it look so like? So it's the, it's the thing that
1: becomes the flower on the top of the garlic. So it's like this long spindly kind of... Thin, green, almost like vine-looking thing, um, but it grows—you know—it grows as part of the garlic plant. So it, when you eat it, they're delicious. They come in the spring before oh, the garlic awesome. is ready. Do we have any garlic? Yeah, garlic scapes. So, <laughs> so garlic
0: scapes. All right.
1: Well, I just love garlic. So garlic scapes are the, the thing that the, it's an unknown ingredient because, because like, you're, you're growing garlic. You're growing the plant for the garlic, and the garlic can then be cured and kept, and, and you can use garlic year-round. It's this great storage crop. Obviously, everybody cooks with garlic, and we all know garlic. The garlic scape is the special treat that the garlic plant produces. So it's doing before. this thing. It's like
0: the squash bloom.
1: Squash blossom. Exactly. Boom. It's a, Exactly. It's the squash blossom to the
0: garlic plant. Favorite Instagram story you guys have done in the last month? Go okay. check out the Bianqui
1: video. It's fresh in the mind. I Fresh
0: out the oven, I too. Fresh out of the
1: oven. Which is rude that you're taking my line. Yeah. <laughs> it's rude. Touche. Yeah. Bake today, deliver today. I loved, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was so nice. Yeah. So... Yeah, that Rachel and you know went one morning, uh, early in the morning, to watch Bien Cui literally take the the loaves that we were delivering to our customers out of the oven. They interviewed Zach, who's the head chef, also Zach, head chef over at Bien Cui, who could be a good uh, interview candidate down the line. He runs a really unique dot, business. Dot, dot. <laughs> Zach,
0: <laughs> other head chef, I don't know <laughs> if I'm interested in talking to you, but we'll see.
1: He's super. So the guy is the guy is doing two day slow fermentation. He's using local grains. Um, this is you know bread's gotten a bad rap in the last ten years. You know people are is that a pun? Be, bread has gotten a bad rap. Oh shit, <laughs> that's good. Um, you know the, it's it's unhealthy gluten. You know gluten wheat we're having a hard time digest it. It's, yep. A lot of the problem there is that we're eating you know dead wheat and the bread is you know has unnatural yeast. It's making it rise quickly and it's just really hard our bodies or have a hard time digesting that when you are naturally fermenting slow fermentation, uh, you know, taking local grains and letting them rise naturally over time.
0: Yeah. It's actually the stuff that builds civilizations. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's it's like
1: probiotic. It's the same as beer. It's the same as yogurt. It's like probiotic rich, really nutritious and, you know, frankly really good for you and, and we we deliver it. So that was a really cool, kind of opportunity that sprung up. They went and filmed him, got some really great footage, and then it's really fun whenever I get to like open up Instagram and just see like, kind of how far we've come, what we're delivering and and it's a fun reality check, right? Like, yeah, we're just 100%. in the business doing doing our best to just keep going and then- Your head's head down, and head down and then you look
0: up and you're like, oh shit, like we're actually making some headway here. Totally, that's S- a, speaking a great of, Speaking of headway, last yeah. speed round question. Yeah we're doing like a little bit more like a sentence round, paragraph round, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can go shorter. What What is the best thing you've heard from a customer in the last X amount of time? What's like a feedback you've gotten that you're like, man, this is worth doing. I'm really stoked I'm doing this. Mm. This may not be the, the most obvious answer, but this woman, this
1: is like so frigging crazy. This woman sends us a picture of this squash that she um, has in her backyard that she's grown, and she said, I got this squash seed from you last summer, and I don't know, remember what variety is, but I planted it in my backyard, and this and it's summer, thriving. it's blooming, yeah, she's and it was a spaghetti squash, a young spaghetti squash, and um, so real. literally this morning, Rachel, on her way to work, went to Greenpoint, and filmed this woman, <laughs>
0: Air pound for Rachel.
1: Film this woman cutting up. I don't yeah, cutting up the squash and examining the, the the bounty the spaghetti, of the spaghetti literally style. literally. You can take your produce box and then regrow your own produce box the next week. No,
0: that's like the it, next year. That's like reverse inception. I it's so
1: that's so cool. And it just shows the connection to your food, right? Like that to me is just like you know people literally take taking a box and taking. Nourishing food that we're providing and then putting it back into the earth, creating a, a garden that's producing spaghetti squash in Greenpoint. Like, how great is that for, for us, for the earth, for everything? So, 100%. I love that.
0: Farm, farm to people so people can farm.
1: People to farm.
0: People yes. to farm.
1: It's I gonna love be, it. It's going to be my nonprofit charity organization when I'm a philanthropist.
0: Hey, no, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe one day, yeah? So, what do you do in your spare time when you're not doing this? Like, I, I think obviously this is a, a venture that you're extremely passionate about. You're five years in. Um, I mean, you, you said earlier, you kind of alluded to an interest in theater, an interest in performance. Uh, are you going to theater? Are you performing on the streets? Tell me a little bit uh, about definitely Michael not. <laughs> out of here. <laughs> definitely not performing on the streets, uh, although.
1: That's an idea. Yeah, yeah. If, with <laughs> jars.
0: I mean, that's a good <laughs> yeah. thing.
1: When, yeah. <laughs> when the when they're going gets get, gets rough, you'll yeah, see it, me it. on the L train. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I like to do? I, you know, I, I love making friends. I love talking about. Um, I really love just meeting people. It doesn't, regardless of industry, regardless of what of, you know, really what they're doing. I love people that are are really passionate in building things. So I find that I gravitate towards, like, entertaining sort of, uh, whether they're, like, events or festivals or restaurants. I have some, you know, like, just people that are pushing the envelope building and something. building something is really exciting. And I love to support that, and I love to, like, seek that out. And so I often find, you know, if I'm going to a, a new restaurant or even seeing, like, an a movie, like I don't tend to like to see blockbuster movies. I really enjoy like indie or smaller films that I feel like are are just like doing unique things, writing scripts
0: in a new way, um, actors that are, you know, coming up with new things. Um, who's an actor? Is there an actor that you follow? Somebody that's like... Maybe a recco, We can send this over to like a talent agent or something. Well, well, actually, a musician. So actually, last night I went
1: and it was a really crazy concert. But a kid I went to, well, he was a little bit older, but I went to high school with um, named Gabriel Garzon Montano. Um, look him up. This he is. You know, he was really friggin' talented in high school. So like, they, we would do like coffee houses, coffee shop, coffee houses, whatever. They were called coffee, I guess there was no alcohol, whatever, time, yeah. whatever was it was. Was it weed? It sounds like it yeah, 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 well, yeah, okay. yeah before. before or after. Yeah, before, but definitely before. But after. <laughs> but yeah, and, no, definitely before and after. <laughs> whatever, it was high school. This guy was super, super talented um and has really like i mean now it's what 12 years later i think since he graduated and he's just like evolved musically so we went to industry city and they have the summer series nice and we nice. watched uh, one of the outdoor shows there and it was raining and i was really bummed and then the rain stopped right as he went on and no it was just way. this amazing like hour and a half set and so Again, that's really cool. Like that was, like I'm not on the cutting edge of like what music is happening at all. I just love, like I have a connection. I like, I, I followed this you know guy, guy because yeah, yeah, like I don't know him, he was four years older. I know. Like, Watching him grow and wanting to support his creativity, that excites me. Like, people, there's so many people doing really cool shit and really putting their their names on the line, their craft on the line, and whether it's a farmer, a musician, a a story writer, a new podcast, like, that's what the world needs. The world needs, like, collaboration, creativity, and fuck, I'll seek that out wherever, in whatever form it is, you know?
0: that's so rad. I think, uh... Yeah, so one, we'll link that guy in the show notes so that people can find him because that sounded really cool. We may yeah. not be able to link that specific uh, performance unless you had your iPhone out. Maybe, and, I'll, I'll, yeah. look, I'll look. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see if we could we'll stew something up for that guy and get some like, attribution credit. But yeah. we'll definitely link him up in the in the show notes so that he gets a shout out. Yeah. But I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's... I mean, it's literally the premise of what I'm doing. I'm not talking to, uh, no offense to the Chili's and the Applebee's of the world, <laughs> yeah. right? But I, I'm really interested in talking to the people that are building.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and on a personal note, I mean, I 1000% agree in my personal time. I mean, I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> in my free time, I'm doing this because I, I genuinely love and, uh, and enjoy talking to people that have a similar like builder mindset, build something. Put a stake in the ground, get to totally. the stake, and then adjust. Yeah, uh, I think you know after seven pivots, we'll call it. Like you're very much so in that mindset as well. But it's uh, it's super cool to hear that that sort of theme flows through your business and then into your own like recreational time. Totally, you got to enjoy the process, and I think that that's something that like
1: the process is painful. The process is challenging. Like day to day grind. There's so many. Whether it's a an email or a this that can get you down, like I think when you start out and you look at round you at like influencers or 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 the CEO of Apple, like with the founder of Spanx or whatever, like you look at these billionaires or whatever and you think, wow, it, they got there. It must be so easy. Yeah, yeah, like 100%. I want that life. But I think when you actually talk to those people. It's not that life that they ever wanted. It's that they enjoyed the not the sales, the knocking door to door, the the journey. You gotta love the journey, um, because that's like that's life, right? Life is the journey, and then the end result, you know, is just is just like a, a, a whatever. What do you call it?
0: A, a repercussion. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think in fact, if you know, that's actually I'm a student of that. I mean, I'm I'm hundred percent a student of the process is actually the value. The process is the outcome. Mm-hmm. The outcomes are a result of the work that you put in on a daily basis, whether that's selling something, creating something, building something. Uh, and, and I think you know, political leaders or educational leaders or uh, media and entertainment people all agree that it's about going on the stage and totally flopping 50 times yeah. before your Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Right? Nobody saw the fails. Nobody yeah. saw him taking a train from Long Island into the city and then just looking like a dumbass. Yeah. Uh, nobody sees that. Now podcasting is a little different because you could start one of these bad boys and be terrible, and everybody sees it <laughs> immediately. So I got to be careful not to not to be too bad. But uh, I think. But we're... you can't
1: worry about the failure. You can't worry about it. I feel. I feel like you know that's part of the journey. And people, if you ex- if you're honest and and. And forthright about it, and you make a mistake, and you own up to it, and you try something new, and you're pushing the button. People are, people are tough. People are critics, but people are also forgiving, and I think people respect hard work and innovation, and understand that over time, nothing bothers me more than people not like. Being supportive of whatever industry it is just kind of people pushing the boundaries And you know that when someone's trying something new it could fail spectacularly the odds are probably that it will
0: exactly And
1: so when people then when it actually does fail people are like angry or what you I feel like It's antithetic, you know, like it makes it makes people worry nervous and worried to take more risks when actually we should like promote just you know go for it and yeah, own up to it when you make a when you make a blunder, but don't shouldn't stop you from trying again.
0: Sure, we're gonna we're also gonna link Cheryl uh, Sandberg's Lean In. she's, yeah, yeah. she's like she's great. She has this great uh you know two two dudes talking about Cheryl here. Uh, she she has this great analogy that uh, that career career path is not a ladder, it's a jungle gym, and I just totally dig that because yeah. like every kid gets on a jungle gym and falls, and what does that kid do? They get right back on the jungle gym, yeah. right? Um, a ladder, you don't fall off the ladder as much and then get back on, right? You get onto the eighth rung of the ladder, you fall, oh crap, I'm not getting back up there, I'm scared of ladders forever. Uh, yeah. But I, I think that's a total, a total fitting, like whether you're in the hospitality business, the media entertainment business, or whatever you're doing, that looking at, if you can't fail, it's probably not the right opportunity. Because failure and growth are like directly connected. You're not pushing yourself. Yeah, you're right not then. pushing yourself. You're yeah. not stretching, right? You're not taking those stretch rolls. Yeah. So tell the people how they can find you. Where can they look you up? Where can they... Well, if I want to get in contact with you and I don't have a clue, what's the website? Where yeah. are you at? How can they get in touch with you? How totally. can they get some of this deliciousness delivered to their house or eat it somewhere?
1: Yeah. Go to farmtopeople.com uh, Follow us on Instagram for sure. Death. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's some good content A on must. there. Um, that's just at farm to people um, And then, yeah, we are delivering now uh, to Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. We're delivering just the best local produce. I really mean that when I say that. I don't, I like I've tried competitors, I've tried, I've gone to the market. I I've really- ate
0: seven of these beets before we started <laughs> and they're delicious. I
1: really believe in what we're delivering and I, you know, I hope that comes across and I'm not just saying that to sell you, you know, another, another, another box. I really think when you give us a try and you try the whole experience, whether it's customizing and taking out, you know, ingredients you don't want, adding on what you do want, really just, you know, share it with friends. Try out the box um, and try to cook at home more. Um, I think that you know it's really awesome to support um, to support you know your own body and your own health by being in touch with the ingredients that you're eating and that are growing around you. And I think that like when you go out to an amazing restaurant, be in touch with what the chefs are cooking with and take inspiration from some of the most creative people in our community, the people that are cooking. You know, making sauces or doing herb dishes or or cooking meats in a new way, and then be inspired by that and go home and challenge yourself to try to create some of the dishes that you are experiencing at some of the really cool restaurants. Um, because I think that restaurants should be you know a place where we go to like educate. educate and and talk to the chefs, ask questions. Chefs are great people, as as we know, and they're they're really Most there. Of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They also have a friggin' terrible, hard, like brutal job. Brutal I mean, they—they they, you gotta on their love feet, it. You, on you their gotta feet, love hours it.
0: Not—not like
1: not most. Tough. Thank your chef too, because yeah. most people aren't cut out. to... Tip your chef. Don't tip. <laughs> even tip.
0: Don't even tip the waitress. <laughs> tip, I tip the chef.
1: T- tip them all. <laughs> <laughs> tip everybody.
0: Uh, tip them all. Yeah. Hashtag tip everybody. <laughs> yeah. Tips for all.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like something Alexandria Ocasio Cortez could get behind, right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, <laughs> or no. Actually, it would just be like fair wages. Like tip, the tip economy is is, is I, fucked up. I'm but.
0: a I'm a Andrew Yang guy, and and unfortunately the freedom dividend. Yeah, and then unfortunately Andrew Yang hasn't talked enough to actually let anybody know what he's doing, other than. Uh, uh, other than you know, kind of like hanging out on the stage during the Democratic debate, but I, I think if, I do think what he's saying is super important and very relevant. Like that,
1: that change is coming. Like we are going to lose so many middle class, well, mid- yeah, middle
0: class jobs over the next due to technology over the next whatever decade. I, I couldn't agree more, and that's why I'm a big I'm a big fan of the boldness with which he's coming to table. And, and unfortunately, um, you know middle ground so I think to bring this into your world mm-hmm. right the 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 piece of the garlic may be more sellable than the completely new vegetable that no one has ever heard of seen and looks like a car that may be a little tougher and I think that politics can have a parallel there
1: well I think that this like it's a really interesting point and I think that I, I think about this a lot so like what Jobs that are replaceable are, you know, whether it's like a, a taxi driver or a truck driver, these sort of technologies will outpace, you know, like a human doesn't need to do that. But hospitality is something that cannot be replaced.
0: I, I could not stay pending on that note. Right? You can't... I, I believe in that. I believe that hospitality-driven businesses are gonna be very successful. Not the only yeah. business, not the, yeah. the one that wins. I'm not, a, I'm not an economic forecaster, but I think that hospitality is a very emotionally intelligent type of job. Yeah. Emotional intelligence is incredibly difficult to replicate. Oh. Through systems. So. Oh, hundred
1: percent and at least for the next 50 years, we're going to need hospitality and human connection until until we become computers. ourselves. Isn't it funny?
0: It always sounds better when you say like a number of years, like yeah. in the next 20 years. right? I, I, how did I calculate that so fast? I don't even
1: I feel like it's going to be a while.
0: That's why I just threw out a number. <laughs> yeah, I'm it sounds be... better. Right? <laughs> 50 years. Yes, that's a good amount of time. I'm just
1: like trying to prepare for monday
0: (laughs) so so this is so this is like unfair Mm -hmm. and i don't mean to always record these on a friday afternoon at (laughs) seven o'clock but closing time how do you like to shut down a day what's the way that you're like man this was a kick-ass day it's unfair podcast except that you can't say it you can't say like i love to do a podcast with zach oh how do i like to wind down a day um Or what's the way that a day ends and you're like, man, that was a good day.
1: Feeling, when I feel excited for the next day, when I feel like I, when I feel like the team feels excited, when I feel like everything just like from the day, you know, like some days are are harder than others, but when you can look and feel and leave the office with a positive outlook, like you're ready to come to work the next day. um, Because I definitely feel like there are days when the grind
0: gets to gets you. Gets to you. Sure.
1: And so I think that that's whenever I feel really excited about the work that's being put in, and I feel like customers and 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 the team and and the community at large is is feeling our impact. Well, it gives you it gives you a purpose, right? So yeah.
0: And humans humans like that. Yeah.
1: And then I like to go home and, and watch an episode and. And, Something.
0: And, yeah, 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 well, yeah. I, I love got my show. I gotta get like some I Gotta get a show, in. Well, you know, I get it.
1: So. I get it. What's so, your show
0: right now? What are you stuck on? Ooh, right now I'm I'm watching both The Handmaid's Tale and oh Big Little Lies, dude. The Handmaid's Tale. Well, that's a whole nother episode. We'll feature. <laughs> we'll get Michael in when The Handmaid's Tale has basically like actually come to real life. That show scares me, and I oh, hate yeah. it. Although I will say, and I know I'm not the film expert, nor are we here to talk about film, but the cinematography of that show is like, I love photography mm-hmm. in general, and I'm just like, whoa, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think they lean a little too much on the cinematography, and not a much, like, we need to move the plot forward, guys. Like, we're shooting yeah, three episodes, scenes yeah. in the whole episode. Like, we gotta do a little more.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's a great, great characters, and it's a really scary kind of scenario to,
0: to have, to, think about. to think
1: about. Well, yeah. luckily,
0: we have fresh vegetables. Yeah. And you to help us keep our keep roots. us grounded, keep, keep our, our us roots grounded, yeah. right? in the real world where you can have fresh produce delivered locally here in New York. Call this guy. Text me. Call me. Email me and we'll oh, find yeah. a way to get awesome food to your door. Yeah? Yeah, so, anytime. Thanks a lot for being here, I really loved it. Or thanks a lot for letting me be here, I should say. Yeah, um, your Your energy's dude. totally infectious and I wish you nothing but the best. And uh, I think that we're gonna have some chefs and some people eating your food now, thanks to this, so. I love it. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate you're welcome, it. man. Good stuff. <laughs> awesome, good? Okay, so um, as we kind of referenced a little bit earlier in the show, and as many of you who listened to the introduction of season two have heard, um, we are breaking in our very first curator's corner of the season. The founder of Farm to People is still here with us in studio, and we wanted to get his take on the concepts of places that he loves in cities that he knows or has explored. Um, obviously I think maybe one of the great places to start would be New York, even though we've interviewed a lot of people that have businesses in New York, Michael, not everybody is a native New Yorker like yourself. So, uh, maybe give us a couple of inside recommendations that people could explore with you, um, or maybe not with you. I'm not sure if you're going to, if you'll VIP tour them, that would also be awesome. But, uh, you can decide that at the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hit me up. We'll, we'll go, we'll go restaurant hopping. That's always a favorite activity of mine. Um, oof, I mean, it's a great city and I, yeah, like you said, this is, this is my life. And so I love to eat out. It's gotta be one of my favorite things to do. And, uh, Ooh, asking, the r- asking the right guy asking, here. Yeah, so I grew up I grew up on the Upper West Side, and so I think, and, and sadly this place wasn't there when I was a kid, but uh, opened and my parents still live up there, so every time I go visit the parents, I love to go check out uh, Red Farm with them. I think that Red Farm, are you familiar? No, I don't know Red Farm. Red Farm's really awesome. It's a Chinese, uh, it's like a farm-to-table Chinese restaurant. Um, they have a spot uh, in the West Village, um, which is... Really, really small. It's above a uh, Peking duck spot that they also own called Decoy, which is the best peaking duck in the city. De- Decoy? Such a good name. Yeah.
0: I love that. <laughs> That's a brilliant Peking duck spot name. Oh, my God. I'm jealous. Yeah. I thought this podcast name was good. <laughs> Damn it. Dig in, dig into decoy. De- no, we can't. They they beat me. I just gotta
1: give up when I know I'm beaten. Um, and then they have a yeah. So they opened an outpost on the on the upper west side. So whenever whenever I want to catch up with the parents, um, that's our go to spot. Um, nice. And then on the on the other side of town, or actually in the other town in Brooklyn where I live, uh, so many so many great spots um, that have been opening up so much change in the last five years. I've been there for a while. No doubt. Um, I gotta say, I love, love, love Ops. It's the second most popular pizza spot in (laughs) uh, Bushwick after Roberto's, which I also also love. But something about Ops, the charm in there, the the wine selection, the salads, um, the just different types of pizza, the calzone, the pizzas. I think the sourdough sleeper, buy a loaf of sourdough. Four bucks or something on your way out breakfast the
0: next day. Best one of the best sourdoughs you'll find in the city. An unbelievable place. I I do know Agree, Ops. Right? I, I I actually lived there for like uh maybe 6 months, like literally 2 blocks from Ops and holy shnikes. The orange wine, the pizza, I mean, it is a major thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have to say it's got the crust, whatever they put into that that crust. It's like a little bit chewy, a little bit tart. It's like I think it is a sourdough starter. I talked to the yeah. The the they imported an oven from Italy. It's like it's state of the art. So I definitely if you're looking for great pizza and don't want to be uh what, what waiting do you call in it? Line waiting for, in line at, for, for an, an hour and a half. Although the lines have gotten ridiculous. So <laughs> go early or go late, because ops now it's, But go. But go. But go.
0: Per per Michael's recommendation, maybe he'll go in advance <laughs> of you. And actually, I'm like,
1: only ten blocks away. So if you need, you need to go, put your name down.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. We well, well, we may disclose your email to certain people. <laughs> we won't give that to everybody. Um, it's a perk. Hey, here's here's a fun here's a fun thing. You, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about some international cities, and you know we do have. I, I'm proud to say some international listeners. I think we hit 12 countries last year, which is pretty exciting. And, and that's also news to Michael, I yeah. guess. Um, but You were mentioning a country and a city in particular that you really loved, and a restaurant that you enjoyed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I found myself back in Berlin for the third time last summer, um, and I've just really connected with this city. I think it's uh, it's changed a lot in the in the probably like seven or eight years since I first went. Um, I think it's just like you know filled with like culture and ideas and artists, and it's obviously it's obviously now more of a destination than it was like you know even ten years ago. but, man, every time I go there, I find that the, the types of food, the types of parks, the types of creativity that are happening there are, are amazing. And uh, and one restaurant that I went to on my last visit that was just really so, so good was called Katz Orange. I think it's the Orange Cat. Um, it's right in the, the the Mita area. And, boy, I, like the, the, the types of meat, again, the, the drinks and the cocktails that they had. Um, it was kind of an open kitchen inside, but they have this really beautiful courtyard. It's kind of easy to miss. But uh, a friend of a friend recommended this restaurant, and it did not disappoint. So if you're in if you're in Berlin, check out that spot for sure. Um, and then I actually have a, a good friend. I'm like I'm blanking completely on the name of his uh, Israeli restaurant. But I have a good friend that's a line cook at a an Israeli restaurant, and I need to I need to come up with that name. So but.
0: so maybe what I'll do specifically for those those folks inside of the curators' corner element of the show. Um, I will definitely back channel with you and get the name and a link. And maybe even link straight to like his Google Maps or his reservation tab and say Michael sent you. Absolutely. That would be so dope. And
1: one of my best, best, best friends is the cook there. So if you do end up in Berlin going there, hit... You know, say Michael sent you and he'll, he'll hook who it up. Who should they
0: say Michael sent them to? Who Who is that person? His name is Emiliano Bambieri Morales. Oh, my God. Get you some of that. <laughs> Wait, is that the brother of the guy that you mentioned who you went to the concert for? Gabrielle? No. Oh, uh, no, different, no, okay. different guy. Different, different guy. Different they guys. know each other. <laughs> oh, my God. They, they both have three names, which I feel like yeah. every person with three names has to have like a relationship. Because I'm like, that is just an absurd quality to have. All right. Flyer, one other city, one other bomb ass restaurant. I'm totally catching Michael off guard right now, but he's an eater. He goes out to places. I'm not catching him too far off guard.
1: All right, uh, Lisbon is a, an unbelievable food city. I think every single spot that we ended up into was was like you know just amazing food, um, but. Me and my girlfriend, we made a reservation in advance at a one Michelin star restaurant for lunch um, just because it felt like the perfect way to spend a day on vacation. <laughs>
0: Love um,
1: it. and it. Was, and it was called Alma.
0: Alma, A-L-M-A. Exactly. Alma, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah, and it's right in downtown Lisbon. It was unbelievable. It was a four-hour extravaganza. I, you know, I want to say, like, compared to New York prices, like, $13. I think. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it was, like, 150 euros. but <laughs> For
0: two people? For,
1: no, no, no. 300
0: euros. Okay. But that's still. But still,
1: one, it was a Michelin or two, one or two Michelin star restaurant that was just really some of the finest food and the service. They kept coming out with meal after plate after plate. Um, and telling you what was in each thing, and there was a wine pairing. And I mean, look, if you would have got that kind of service in New York, it would have been like four. Or five, I don't know. I, I can't afford it here.
0: Yeah. But it, <laughs> it would have been. I can't afford it. <laughs> whatever, whatever it would have been, been. Whatever would have been. It was. It's like the this Z, It's like the ZJ. You know, if you got to ask, you can't afford. Exactly, it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this was. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna feel like
1: a, a king or a queen, find Alma. yourself Alma in in Lisbon and.
0: And go to Lisbon. (laughs) (laughs) And just go to Lisbon in general. It's a fun city. Well, listen, Michael, thank you so much. Thanks for the long-ass interview. Thanks for adding this little tidbit on for those people that are looking to dive a little bit deeper. I mean, the whole narrative of this show is dig in. And what we've clearly seen from the data of season one is people really want to know, like one, the personal stories behind the people that are building these brands and restaurants and hospitality groups, et cetera, et cetera. But they also really want to know where do these people seek hospitality, greatness, incredible food, et cetera, et cetera. So we really appreciate your time. Anytime. (laughs) All right. Ciao, man. Thank you.